Remember this portion of the story of God as it's written in the book that we love from Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and over all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, He has bought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home, and then she spoke to him with these words, That Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to make sport of me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Funny what I hear when I'm listening to the scripture read. I've been studying it and studying it, and then I hear something new on Sunday morning. And uh, it's a little disconcerting sometimes because I wonder, oh, I should have seen that. <laughs> but uh, it's just interesting to me that Joseph had real wardrobe issues, didn't he? I mean, 
His garment got him in trouble twice, and uh, seemed to be evidence. I hadn't seen that little bit before. I'm sure it's spiritually meaningful for all of us, so we'll just chew on that for a while. Today, we're going to look at two characters, two brothers, Joseph and his older brother, Judah. And because both of them had a similar life experience that led them in a direction and, and gave them a choice, will I embrace the faithfulness of my father, Jacob? Will I seek out my God or will I not? Now, the story that uh, features Judah is in the chapter just before this. It's chapter uh, 38. And I'm not going to read that, but uh, I will summarize it. Both Joseph and Judah experienced injustice, serious injustice. And it was at the hand in, uh, of their own family that they experienced that. Joseph was sold into slavery, as you know, by his brothers and was then falsely accused and imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. And meanwhile, from his very infancy, Judah, through no fault of his own, was treated with contempt and emotional abandonment by his father Jacob. Despite repeated assaults of betrayal and abuse, Joseph emerged each time with a faith that was more sustaining and empowering. And we read over and over again that the Lord was with him. And it is true, the Lord is with, was with Joseph, but the Lord was also with Judah. Judah simply didn't pay attention. Judah, on the other hand, became embittered against his whole family. And he left them shortly, shortly after they sold Joseph as a slave, and I had never seen this before. But Judah left the family. His unhappiness and, and his bitterness was his legacy to his first three sons, two of which died unmourned and without respect, and the third faded into history without mention. We've read today's installment on the adventures and misadventures of Joseph in chapter 39, Chapter 38, which I did not read, tells the story of Judah and Tamar. The two stories serve to contrast and compare how the two brothers faced life's challenges and how God accomplished his will through them. Judah's story is another R-rated Bible account that I will summarize. The story opens in chapter 38, verses 1 to 2, and it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hera. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. Now, Shua is the father's name, not the daughter's name. We don't even know the daughter's name. It doesn't matter much because... Judah's family members were not all that important to Judah, it seems. Judah abandoned his birth family, Jacob's family, and he partners in business with a Canaanite. He marries a Canaanite. He has three sons and arranges for them to marry Canaanites. Judah wants nothing to do with his father, his family, his father God, or the family business of supposedly being a blessing to all the nations. 
when his eldest son was old enough, in chapter 38, we find out that Judah arranges a, mar a marriage with a Canaanite woman named Tamar. His eldest son dies childless, being judged in the text as evil in the sight of God. By ancient Near Eastern custom, the next eldest brother was to sire a child with Tamar on his brother's behalf so that his brother's name would continue and that, so that Tamar, his widow, would also have a child to care for her in her old age. However, the next eldest son refused to oblige, and as a result, God took his life as well. So he's lost two sons, and of course, he doesn't stop to think of how that is possible, and he doesn't stop to think his part in souring the lives of his own two sons, but he's got this one remaining son. Now, there's no mention of Judah mourning either of his sons. As a matter of fact, his relationships with them and his wife seem to be perfunctory. They're superficial. They're self-serving, and there's no hint of tenderness. Judah promised his third son to Tamar because it was expected by custom. And when he was there with Tamar in front of all of his people, he obliged. He said, when my son, when my next son becomes old enough, I will give him to you in marriage. However, Judah had no intention of losing another son to a woman that he thought was jinxed, even though it was the faithless evil of his own sons that caused their own deaths. So he sent Tamar back to her father's people in a distant village and forgot all about her. Years later, after his wife had died, Judah came to Tamar's village for a week or two on business. Tamar recognized him, but Judah didn't recognize Tamar. Tamar dressed up as a temple prostitute and placed herself at the village gate as Judah entered town. Judah's lust took over and the predictable happened. In the, after, afterwards, he offered to go back to his camp and to get a young goat in payment, but she demanded his signet ring and his staff as a pledge that he would return. Now, Judah had no idea that the prostitute he slept with was a, his daughter-in-law. Later, when it became public that Tamar was pregnant by harlotry, as the people supposed, Judah saw a chance to rid his family of a liability and ordered her to be burned at the stake. Now, even by ancient Near Eastern standards, this was a, a, an unwarranted and especially cruel punishment. Tamar then produced Judah's signet ring and staff, claiming that they belonged to the child's father. And now something really remarkable happens. Judah, Judah's response in chapter 38, 26 comes as a complete surprise. He says, she, Tamar, is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, Shelah. In one sentence, he confesses his sin and he exonerates Tamar 
He doesn't only confess his sin and talk the talk, he walks the walk. He repented of his actions towards her and took her and her children into his family. And their names appear with those who later went into Egypt with Jacob and his sons. Even more remarkable, Tamar had twins, and one of them was named Perez. And he became the forefather of King David, and therefore also became in part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Crazy, huh? That's Judah's story. How he handled his life's experiences that were unjust and unfair. Then we have Joseph's story, which we read today. If Judah's story was the story of a prodigal son who comes back and repents, Joseph's story is a story of discipling, of growing in faith and growing in character. And the phrase, because the Lord was with him, comes up over and over again in this passage. And again, the Lord is with all of us. And he was certainly with the people of his promise and all of the sons of Jacob if they would pay attention to him, but they didn't. Jacob alone did. Discipleship is based on a relationship with God, not a moral ideal or a religious ritual or a spiritual exercise. Moralism cannot sustain faith any more than good housekeeping or good breadwinning can sustain a marriage. The relationship in both the marriage and in our relationship with God must deepen as time goes on. It must deepen or it will die. Joseph didn't have a Bible to study, Old or New Testament. He didn't have a church to attend. What he had was the story of his family's history with God, and more importantly, he had his own life to share with God. It's remarkable, this man who had so few resources, spiritually, was stayed so faithful, and I don't think for a minute that he didn't have dark times of despair. I don't think for a minute that he didn't lash out in anger on occasion or, or frustration. But the characterization of Joseph's life was a man who deepened in God with every turn. He didn't choose to compartmentalize his life so that his spirituality or his religion had little or nothing to do with his everyday life. Joseph knew that an affair with Potiphar's wife would have been a heartless betrayal of Potiphar's extraordinary kindness and trust in Joseph. But Joseph's chief concern was that such a betrayal in chapter 39, verse 9, would be a great evil and a sin against God. It would be hundreds of years before David would write chapter 51 of the Psalms and his great confession. After King David had committed adultery, murder, and then tried to cover it up with crimes of conspiracy, 
He recognized in his later confession to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Joseph, like David, knew that sin was first and foremost a betrayal of God and a violent attack on his loving heart. Judah had no concept or concern. His older brother, Judah had no concept or concern about sinning against God because unlike David and unlike Joseph, he had not shared his life with God. It just didn't mean anything. It was Joseph's relationship with God that sustained Joseph's ethics, not the other way around. This is why Joseph's ethical structure and spiritual life survived the terrible injustice of being sold into slavery and then being thrown into prison for years, for years. God remained with Joseph, and Joseph held on to God. He did the very abiding that we, we talked about in that memory verse, the, word, the section of John that we were, were reading over abiding with God. Joseph didn't have the memory verse. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have a study group, but he knew that that's what he needed to do, and he did it. And God remained with him and was faithful to him. God remains with Joseph. Joseph holds on to God, and their relationship is not only sustained, it becomes sustaining to Joseph, even in the apparently hopeless and deeply depressing situation that he was in. Looking at these two men and how their life was shaped. And you know, again, I got to say, the Bible stories are about real people and a God who deals with real people. It's important to know the Bible stories because they're powerful and, and, and they're gritty because they deal with real people and a God that knows what kind of people we are. And things haven't changed all that much. But looking at these two men and what God did in them and through them and how their journey went, I would have to say that the best two outcomes for any life in this sanctuary today is to either be confronted by life's circumstances and brought to repentance like Judah or to be discipled by those experiences and brought closer to God like Joseph. These are excellent outcomes. Judah's selfishness made him cold and coarse. He was dishonest. He was lustful and cruel. He came by it honestly. But it's something he persisted in. After Tamar confronted him, Judah got a clear picture of the man he had become. And apparently, miracle of miracles, he was ashamed at what he saw. He began to change, and as our story progresses, we'll see that this wasn't a one-off for Judah. Judah began to do things that are a significant break with his old character. He will even lay down his life as a substitute for his brother, and not just one of his brothers of his mother, but one of the hated sons of Rachel, his little brother, Benjamin. And not only that, but he did it for the sake of his estranged father, Jacob. Things were changing in Judah's life. Judah would, after all, seek to be a blessing. 
Joseph's experience of injustice must have caused him much heartbreak and black despair, but it was a valley he passed through and not a cave that he crawled into to die. Eventually, Joseph faced every darkness with his God. His signature response to each, each difficult and demeaning circumstance was eventually find a way to be a blessing. First to Potiphar, then to the jailer, and as we shall see in the next few weeks, to his fellow inmates. He was called by God to be a blessing, and by being a blessing, he found himself in the presence and blessing of God. It became a gracious upward spiral. He used his life to search for God. He then acted on what he found, and in so doing, he discovered more about God, and he acted on that knowledge, and so on. One compelling scriptural principle that Joseph understood over a thousand years before it was even written is recorded in 1 John 4.16. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. At the very least, love acts for the good of others. It answers friendships with loyalty and faithfulness. And this kind of love, even this we struggle with. Joseph understood that it honored God to be a blessing to others, whether the one he reached out to was a man in a position to help him or someone who was as deeply stuck in this miserable situation as he was. The challenge of discipleship is that love and God define each other. In other words, you define love by understanding God, and you understand God by acting in ways that are loving. Again, that upward spiral. Discipleship is the process of taking what little we know about either love or God, act on it, and let the results teach us more about both. Then we pick up and we act on that new knowledge. And we're, we're pulled up higher. Joseph understood this and he modeled it. And in this way, he inched his way along until he found he was able to do the absolute impossible. He was able to bless his brothers with forgiveness. And he came to rejoice in God's grace despite what it cost him. Judah wasted much of his life, if not most of his life, trying to serve only his appetites, his broken heart, and his small vision for his life. But he had the good sense to embrace the truth when it stared him in the face. And it made a big difference. I encourage you to follow the trail that Joseph blazed, to nurture your faith so that can nurture your spirit when you face injustice or loss or sorrow, something else that breaks your heart, that brings your faith to the breaking point. Joseph's life was full of dreadful hardships. And we can read about it in a chapter, but understand 
in this chapter that years and years passed. His life was full of extraordinary events and dreadful hardships, any one of which would have broken and could have defeated him. But he honored God and he served God's purposes. And you say, well, what choice did he have? Well, he could have done the same thing as Brother Judah did. But he didn't. He kept looking. In the end, he came looking for the God who was his father's God and his God. God remained with Joseph because Joseph hung on to God. He blessed Joseph, and Joseph used the opportunities that blessing brought to be a blessing to others, even those who had proven to be his enemies. Let's pray. Lord, we learn by small degrees, and we can see by Joseph's incredible example, and I, 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 I really respect Joseph, and I admire him. I, I probably identify more with, with Judah uh, and his attitudes. But Lord God, if we will take a baby step, find a loving thing to do, every loving act introduces us to you. It, it reveals you. It gives us more to know about you, which teaches us more about how to be loving. We pray, Lord God, that we would get caught in this upward vortex uh, into the family that you are building in the church. For we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.